1949, there was a street artist in India named Kumar. And Kumar was born to the untouchable class. And, and he lived in poverty. And, and he was really at the, the lowest of the low. And he'd sit on the street. And he would just draw whoever would pay him to, to draw them. And one day there's this woman from Sweden named Charlotte. And, and she asked him to draw her. And he began to draw her and began to feel feelings toward her. And, and he, he couldn't quite draw her right. So he asked her to come back the next day. So she came back the next day and he began to draw her again. And, and on that day he realized he, he wanted to marry this woman that he was drawing. And so he kept drawing, but he couldn't get it right. So he asked her to come back a third day. And so she came back for the third day and really drew her a third time. And, and by this point he knew that, that, that he was going to be in love with her. And they spent the next couple of weeks together as she was visiting India. But eventually she had to go back to, to Sweden. And that's where most of these kind of stories would end. And there'd be no more. But, but not for Kumar because he was in love with Charlotte. And so he decided to sell the, the few possessions that he had. He, he gave all that in, in, in exchange for a bike. And he decided he was going to cycle his way to Sweden. I don't know if you've seen a map. <clears throat> Took him more than four months through eight countries to bike his way toward her. But eventually he made it and they were together and they eventually got married. Yeah, let's applaud that. I mean, way to go, Kumar. Yeah. And if that wasn't sweet enough, they have been married for 40 years and they have two kids and this is what they look like today. Oh, doesn't that just make you feel good? Come on. Now I love that because that is a story of overflow. That is what you do when you are in love. When, you, when you, you want something so badly, you will do anything to get it. If you would have said to Kumar, this makes no sense. Why would you bike your way to Sweden? He would have told you about his love for Charlotte and how it all made sense. And really we're in this series called Overflow. Where we're talking about when, when you are that obsessed with Jesus, when you have seen what he is inviting you to experience, when you, when you are just enamored with him, that you will overflow in response to that. You, you can't help it. And we're learning how to, how to build our life around that, uh, out of this obsession with Jesus. So if you're uh, with us and you have your journal, I want to encourage you to get your journal out. We're going to be in week three. Uh, if you have a journal at the beginning of the series, hopefully you held on to it. If not, just get something to take notes with. I encourage you to write down some of the things that we're going to talk about today. Also in your Bibles, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 26. Hopefully you brought a Bible with you. If you've got a physical Bible, uh, just go to the first book in the New Testament. You'll find Matthew there. And if you have a Bible app on your phone, I encourage you to get that out as well. And you can scroll to Matthew, and we're going to read a story from there in just a moment together. We began the series talking about fear and how often we don't experience overflow because we're afraid of what might happen if we began to try it. We began to experience it. So we just kind of began to move beyond the fear. And lastly, we talked about really how we, we see God revealed to us on the cross as Jesus pours out himself for us. And, and I made the point that we look most like Jesus when we pour ourselves out for others. So overflow is this, this ability that, that we can really tap into what Christ has done for us. We, we begin to mirror it back and go, wow, you've done it for me and I'm going to do it for those uh, around me in, in, in return. And now last week I talked about a number. And I said this number was not an encouraging number, but, but there is this 2.6% is the average uh, household uh, charity giving uh, in, in our country right now. And I just talked about how that's, that's not exactly an overflow number. And you talk about, yeah, look at us, we're giving 2.6% away. 
And today I want to begin to ask, how do we move beyond that number? How do we say, no, that's not going to be reflective of us as the church. We're going to live in this overflow. One of the things that I know, and this is going to be important to understand for today, is you will never accidentally be generous. You don't wake up one morning and go, whew, look at me, I think I'm becoming generous. I mean, it just doesn't work like that. You don't stumble your way into generosity and go, I cannot believe that I, I just became a generous person. It takes an intentional decision. It takes, uh, you know, some changes to go, well, if that's going to be true of me, some other things have to not be true of me so that this could be true. And we're going to talk about how do you begin to live your life around this. Now, it also doesn't end when you pursue generosity because God doesn't want you to get complacent. So just when you think you've arrived, you're a generous person, God's like, now check this out. And he begins to invite you into ever greater ways of trust as you see him move and you see him show up in incredible ways. So I want to read to you a story in Matthew 26 today. We'll begin in verse 6. And this is one that you may have heard of before, even if you're not super familiar with church or with the Bible. But it's a story that I love because it's a story of overflow. And yet it's also a story that looks a little bit weird when you begin to unpack the details. So let's read together Matthew 26 in verse 6. While Jesus was in Bethany, in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume, which she poured on his head as he was reclining at the table. You ever seen anybody do that? I mean, that would be weird, right? You're sitting, about to have dinner, this lady comes in, this huge jar of like the nicest perfume you've seen. And you're going, what, what is she doing with that? Why, why is she bringing perfume in here? And all of a sudden, pops the lid off, just begins to dump it on Jesus' head. And you can just imagine everyone leaning forward like, what is going on? When the disciples saw this, they were indignant. Why this waste, they asked. This perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money could have been given to the poor. Ever notice how acts of generosity annoy non-generous people? How dare she give that gift? That's not a kind of gift you should give. She shouldn't have done that. Well, it wasn't your gift to give. And yet this is said by Jesus' own disciples. How dare she pour that on him? That makes no sense. Now you might go, well, yeah, but doesn't she have a point? Or don't they have a point? You know, I mean, really, this, this perfume was kind of wasted on Jesus. I mean, it had no purpose here. And she's just dumping this out. And, and, and it could have been sold. And people could have been fed by this. And this is the logic we often have even today. Well, there, there's much better use than that. Could, couldn't there have been some other thing? What you realize, and this becomes obvious as you keep reading, but they're hiding behind spirituality. They're saying things that are not what, what Jesus ultimately would want and not what God has actually put on them by the Spirit. But, but they're making it sound good by using spiritual language. We do this today. We have, we have our own opinions and our own grievances and we voice them and we, we package them in these spiritual terms so they sound really good and, and honorable. And yet at the core of it, it's, it's about us. And that's what they're doing here. And the, the problem with their logic is they're operating out of a scarcity mentality. There's only so much to go around. And, and if, if this is used here, then the poor will be neglected. And they don't understand the bigger picture here. But one of the things that you realize as you begin to unpack this story and others is that generosity isn't limited by the rules of logic. 
Now, I love this about generosity, but it makes it difficult for a lot of us. I, I'm, I'm a guy, I like logic. I like reason. I like working through arguments. But when you get to generosity, if I think about the ways that people have been generous to me, it makes no sense what they've done. I think about some of the things that God has invited me to do to be generous toward others, and it makes no sense because generosity doesn't play by the rules of logic. It's, it's about overflow. Overflow doesn't have rules. It's this different thing because God's in the midst of it. And yet a lot of us, the reason we don't experience generosity is because it's logically not going to make sense to you. And you have to begin to challenge the logic of that. And so here the disciples are going, well, you know, this makes no sense. That gift shouldn't have been used that way. But it's a gift of generosity. Now last week we talked about a church that, that was giving uh, above the, the, their capability. They, they gave more than they were able to, beyond their ability. They're going, how do you do that? It doesn't adhere to logic. It's, it's generosity. It's overflow. They, they just gave beyond their ability. Now, you can imagine at this point in the story, everybody's, you know, all eyes are on Jesus because they, they've, they've seen this woman. You know, she just did this really bizarre thing, dumped all this perfume on him. Uh, you can imagine Jesus is sitting there. I would love to see the, his facial expression, uh, but he's just got perfume dripping down his hair, on his beard and his clothes, and, and he's just sitting there, you know, lounging around. You've got the disciples who are, you know, murmuring amongst themselves going, that shouldn't have happened. And now all eyes are on Jesus. What's he going to say? What is he going to do? Is he going to side with this woman? Is he going to side with the disciples? Uh, what lesson is he going to make out of this? We read in verse 10. Aware of this, Jesus said to them, Why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. When she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. Truly I tell you, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world... What she has done will also be told in memory of her. And today we, we fulfilled that. We're telling the story yet again. I love the phrase there. She has done a beautiful thing. What a great way to describe generosity. Describe overflow. She has done a beautiful thing. Now, at first you might think, well, man, Jesus doesn't really seem like he cares about the poor. Like he, he just wants all this spent on him. He, he doesn't care, but, but you, you, you might miss what he's doing. See, Jesus is referencing back to the Old Testament here. In Deuteronomy 15 verse 11 says this, There will always be poor people in the land. Therefore, I command you to be open-handed toward your fellow Israelites who are poor and needy in your land. This is in the Old Testament. This is something every good Jew knew. Yeah, there'll be poor people around. You should take care of them. Of course, it was like a, a 101 level concept. Of course you take care of the poor people. They will always be in need around you. Do something for them. Jesus is referencing that going, yeah, of course we're going to do that. But Jesus isn't operating out of a scarcity mentality. So he's not thinking, hey, if, if we allow this woman to show her generosity, to show her overflow to me, then clearly that means we are neglecting all of the poor people around us. He doesn't think of it in those terms. They're not mutually exclusive. Now, here's what's really amazing. This woman is the only woman on earth that gets to anoint Jesus' body for burial. Now, after he's dead and they put him in the tomb, uh, there are other women that go and they try to do this. They try to take care of his body. And we read about this in Luke chapter 24. It says, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and they went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. 
They've got all the supplies. They're ready to go to anoint his body. And they can't because he rose from the grave. He's not there. They are too late. But this woman in this story is the only one that gets to do it. But here's the remarkable part. She has no clue that's what she's doing. So she's there. She brings this gift. She dumps it on him. And and she just felt led to do that. And then she hears Jesus say, this woman has just prepared me for my burial. And she's like, I did? That's cool. You know, she's, she didn't know. And this is what's so amazing about generosity. You will never fully know this side of heaven what God is going to do with your acts of generosity. When you decide I'm going to overflow myself into others, you will never know how God will take that so far beyond what you could ever imagine. This woman just had this, this moment where, hey, I, just, I feel like I should do this for Jesus. And Jesus tells her, you have no idea what you've just done. Scholars suggest that, that this perfume would have been so strong, so overpowering, so much all over him, that when he's on the cross, he would have smelled of perfume. When he goes to the grave and they lay his lifeless body in the grave, it would have smelled of perfume because of this woman's one act of generosity. and She had no clue what she was doing. And I love that God meets us in our generosity and takes it somewhere we could never even imagine. And this is the invitation for all of us. Now, here's what's great. This doesn't have to be just a story we read about and go, wow, that would be cool to have that kind of a moment. You can actually decide to live your life like this. I want to have those kind of moments where I overflow and where Jesus shows up and where he does something with my generosity far beyond What I could ever do, you can do that in your life. But what it means is you have to decide in advance to set that up. Here's why. Because if you want to live in the kingdom and you want to have this generosity be a part of you, it's not going to happen accidentally. And you're going to have this culture around you competing for the kingdom. And you got to decide where is your resources, where is your time and your energy and your efforts, where are they going to go toward, the culture or the kingdom? And so we have to decide in advance. Now, what you may not realize, and I, I spend a little bit of time reading about this, but there are so much, uh, so much time and energy and money is spent trying to show you that they will decide where your money goes. You don't need to decide it. Every time you go to the store, there has been thought and effort put into getting you to buy certain things that you may not have ever realized. You ever come back from a store and went, I don't know why I bought that. I didn't, I didn't go to the store for that, but I came home with it. It's because they have figured out how to get you to buy stuff you don't know that you need. Now, I can illustrate this for you with one great example, but it's going to mess all of you up for grocery shopping forever. <laughs> Deal? I'm telling you in advance, okay? Let me just illustrate this once. Have you ever been down in a grocery store, down the cereal box aisle? I spend a lot of my time there. i got five little kids. Um, if you notice, if you go down the cereal box aisle, look at the eyes on the boxes, okay? I'm going to illustrate this. The eyes on cereal boxes are looking down. Why are they looking down? Because that's where your kids are. You're going, oh, Jeremy, this is just a sermon illustration. There's no way that's true. It is true, and I can prove it to you. There's a study that was done to figure out, is there really a correlation to what it feels like that these, these eyes are looking down when normally that wouldn't make any sense? And so one study measured 86 different characters on cereal boxes. And they measured all these characters and they figured out out of the 86, 
57 of them were, were, were you know, marketed to kids. These were kids' characters to sell cereal to kids. Of those 57, what they found on average is that the ones that were uh, uh, kid actors or kid characters were on average negative 10 degrees looking down. Okay, Not level, on average negative 10 degrees down. They compared that with the boxes for adults, and they found that those were slightly upward. So they can prove scientifically that when your kid says, Mom, I need Captain Crunch, the reason why is because Captain Crunch just gazed into your little kid's soul. (laughs) And she's having this emotional connection on the cereal box aisle, and you missed it because he wasn't looking at you, right? Now, this happens on every aisle you walk through, on any store. It's not just with kids and cereal boxes. You ever walk by an end cap and you're like, oh, that's great. I, I was looking for that. They literally are mapping out where you walk. You ever notice how far away the milk is? Why you have to walk through the store? It's because all of this is trying to get you to spend your money on things you didn't need to spend your money on. You didn't even know. But you, you ended up. On a side note, totally unrelated, that's why my wife rarely sends me grocery shopping. Because I come home with all kinds of weird stuff, and she's like, really? Why? Why?" And I'm like, I don't know. I found it, and it looks cool. But, but this is just the reality that, that we can either say, hey, that's good enough for me. I'm just going to allow other people, I'm going to allow the society around me to tell me where my money goes. Or we can say, you know what? No. I want to be a generous person. I want to experience overflow. And if that's going to be true, I'm going to have to pre-decide in advance. I'm going to have to say no to certain things in advance so that I can set myself up to experience generosity, to experience the overflow. Now, on a message like this, I feel the need to actually get a little bit more specific and practical than we often do. A lot of times we're just, let's talk about the text and, and you can work it out with the Spirit of God and what that means for you. On this one, I think a lot of us are like, yeah, I want to do that. I don't know how. How do I take this to the next level? If I want to set this up, I want to pre-decide. How do I not be at the whim of the cereal boxes, you know? I want to give you two steps, very simple things, that I have learned are practical ways to live this out. To pre-decide that you want to be a generous person, uh, you don't want to leave it up to chance, and you can set yourself up to actually be in a situation to do that. Now, next week, I'm going to talk about two other practical things. That's more of an advanced level, we'll see, that takes it beyond. But let's begin with two simple concepts that maybe you've never, uh, you know, thought about before. Maybe you're already doing. But I would say if you want to be more of an overflow person, here's two ways to do it. Number one, automate your values. Could you write this down? Automate your values. Well, that doesn't sound very spiritual. What do you mean automate values? Decide in advance what's important to you. What are those things that you want to make sure get done, that you want to make sure your money go toward? Automate it. Just decide, I'm going to set this up. I'm going to use all of the tools, all the technology available to me. I can decide in advance, and then I can guarantee myself that it's going to happen. Uh, technology has come such a long way. We have so much available to us, and yet a lot of us don't take advantage of it. There's a lot of books out there on how to manage money well. Uh, there's a book by a guy named Ramit Sethi, uh, who's not a Christian, but he has this, this whole concept of, hey, how to, how to manage money well. And he really teaches the concept of automation. That just decide in advance, these are the things important to you. And then set it up and you don't have to worry about it. Here's one of the arguments he makes in his book. He says, one of the key differences between rich people and everyone else is that rich people plan before they need to plan. 
Now, this is not a Christian, uh, to my knowledge. Uh, he's just writing about, you know, how, how to get rich in the world. That's, that's what he does for a living. Now, if we're a Christian, our goal is not just to become rich people, okay? Our goal is to live in the kingdom, to experience overflow, to be generous toward others, uh, to manage God's stuff well. Uh, so let's, let's tweak this, but use the concept. Uh, we want to uh, be people who manage our money well for God. Uh, and so we're going to have to plan before we need to plan. Otherwise, you walk the cereal aisle and you spend money on things you, you never thought. And at the end of the day, you go, well, I never actually had a chance to spend my money on the things that I had said. And so what I had decided in advance are things financially that are values to me. And I've decided I'm going to automate it. I'm going to set it up with technology so that I guarantee that I'm paying off the things that I've said. I'll give you a few examples in my own life. I have two credit cards that I use. Uh, and I have it automated to pay off both cards every month. I don't carry a balance. They just automatically get paid off. So when I use them, I know, hey, I'm going to pay these off at the end of the month. And I don't have to worry about it. It's automatically going to happen. I have my mortgage automated. I, I like my family living in a house together. So want to pay that mortgage payment? It's automatically paid every month. I have savings accounts because I don't want to consume all that I have. So I want to put money away and have margin in my life. So I automate uh, some of my money every month goes into savings accounts automatically. I don't have to try to think about that. I have set it up in advance. I have a retirement account. It is automated. It automatically puts money aside. I never see it. I never think about it because I've already decided in advance that's something I want to do. Every bill that I have that can be automated, I have set up to be automated. I don't want to be worried about every month. Did I pay that bill? I? No, it's, it's all automated. So all of these things I have already set up to be automated. Now let me give you some benefits that I have found in, in doing this. Number one, you never pay a late fee with automation. I can't think of a worse way of managing God's stuff than paying fees for it. Hey, God, I know you gave me this, but I wasted a lot of it because I never planned ahead. I never put a little bit of thought into it to manage it. And so I'm just paying fees on all sorts of stuff because I, I, I'm just at the whim of everything else. I, I don't want to spend my money on fees. Uh, number two, I don't spend my mental energy on any of those things in that list. I don't think about it. I'm not laying in bed at night going, did I pay my mortgage? Oh, man, is, is it that date? Is that card? Is that bill? I, I'm just not, none of my mental space goes to those. I, I decided in advance. I want those paid off. I'm going to set it up. I, I, I'm just planning around that. So I'm not, I'm not even doing that. A third thing I've learned is it protects you from the worst version of you. Ever had that thought? I'll remember to do that. Yeah, yeah, I'll do that tomorrow. I'll do that later this week. I'm for sure going to do that. And then that comes and goes and you go, oh, I totally forgot. If you automate it, you don't ever forget. You have set it up. And the, the moment when you're thinking clearly and you're ready to do it, you set it up once and you never have to go, did, did I do that? I, I totally forgot. All of us forget. So I decided I don't want to forget things that I have said are values to me, that I have said are important to me. And what you realize is that a lot of us, when we talk about generosity, it usually sounds like a New Year's resolution. We're going to be generous people. Ask us a few weeks later, how are you doing on generosity? Uh, yeah, nothing really changed. We kind of went back to the whole thing. Automation is a way of saying, no, 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 we're going to be generous people, and we're going to set it up, and we're going to figure out where our money's going to go in advance, and it's actually going to happen. It makes me think of a scene from a Seinfeld episode. We have any Seinfeld fans in the house today? Okay, as my people, there's this uh, scene where he's going to get a rental car and he has made a reservation. And Jerry gets there and, and they're like, oh, I'm sorry, uh, we don't have your car. And he's going, but I made a reservation. She's like, I know what a reservation is. And he says, 
I don't think you do. And then he has this great argument. I'll say to you, you know how to take the reservation. You just don't know how to hold the reservation. And that's really the most important part of the reservation, the holding, right? Like, you took my reservation, but my car isn't here. You didn't actually do it. This is how a lot of us are with generosity. I'm going to be a generous person. Are you actually doing the things that would lead to you being a generous person, or are you just talking about it? Are you just saying, I have learned no better way of beginning this to go, I'm going to automate the things that are important to me, and I'm going to set it up so I don't have to wonder, did I hold it? Did I, did I keep it or did I just talk about doing something? All right, that's step one. Step two, plan your generosity. You're not accidentally going to be a generous person. So if you want to start deciding, I'm going to live in the overflow, automate your values, plan your generosity, decide in advance. Okay, what about automating my giving? Is that like weird? Is that less spiritual to automate something like that? Shouldn't I bring a check with me every time I come to church and, you know, put it in the bucket and have this whole thing? And, well, what about that? Here's reality. For a number of years now, I don't even know how long, I have been automating my own giving. I don't, you'll never see me put a check, not never, but I don't think you'll see me put a check in here. It's all automated. I do it all online. Why? Because I decided in advance I want to give. So if I want to give, I'm adding that absolutely to the list of other things that I've decided in advance. Uh, each year, Michelle and I pray, hey, God, what do you want us to give this year? What percentage? And so we'll, we'll commit to that and we'll set it up and it gets automated and it's automatically going to happen. I never have to wonder, was I faithful to what I felt like God has asked me to do this year? Did I end up giving or, oh, man, I think I forgot a couple weeks. Or remember we traveled or I don't ever have that thought. No, I prayed about it, landed on what I felt God saying, and we set it up. And at a minimum, I'm going to at least give back that amount because I automated it. I, I set it into motion. And this is an incredible way to begin a life of generosity. To begin going, yeah, I think this is something important to me. So I'm going to make sure that it happens. Now, you, you've, if you've been around here for a while, you've heard us talk about something called PushPay. And, and PushPay is a software that we use, and it's incredibly simple, incredibly easy uh, to, to use that. And it can set up automated giving, it can set up online giving, you can do it from your phone, you can do it from a computer. Incredibly easy to do, and this is what we use. We, we set it up with that, and, and it's so easy to do. I would encourage you, that's a great starting point to go, how do I start giving generously? How do I start learning how to, you know, to redo this, to, to pre-decide? How about you try automating your giving? Begin there. Now, you might think, well, if you automate your giving, then you never are thinking about giving anymore. It's just, you know, in the back of your mind. Because didn't you say you're not spending time thinking about it? That's true. But I also automate my ability to extra give, to meet needs around me. And, and so Michelle and I always have something left over where if a need arises, we could do something about it because we have money set aside. Now, there have been seasons where our finances are extra tight. And what we'll do in those months is literally automate into a separate account just for generosity. Going, hey, as needs arise, we want to have money put away. Now, I'm going to explain something to you that maybe no one has ever told you before, but it can literally change your Christianity. It can change the way you see God. So often in the church, we'll come around each other and we'll go, hey, uh, what's going on in your life right now? Oh, here's this thing I'm dealing with. And, and I've been praying that God would, you know, would answer this prayer. And a lot of times, very well-intentioned, we'll go, oh, let me pray about that with you. And we'll pray together, and we'll walk away, and we'll go, man, I feel good about that. I prayed about that with that. Let me tell you something. Do you realize that more times than you probably realize, God wants to use you to answer other people's prayers? 
So someone's praying, oh, I got this need and I, I really want, you know, I don't know how I'm going to do that. You can pray with them, great, but maybe God's saying, how about you cut them a check right now? How about you pay for that for them? How about you do this for them? How about all of a sudden you realize, oh, I've been praying about how to be generous and you've been praying about a need and God just brought us together. You know, the coolest thing that I've ever experienced in my life is when you get to look at someone and go, God answered your prayer through me. God told me to be the answer to your prayer. You want to watch someone just their eyes get big going, holy cow. There's times where we go, God, you're nudging us to, to get ready to do something. All right, we're ready. What do you want us to do? And then we'll learn about some need that we didn't know about. And all of a sudden we'll say, hey, guess what? God had been preparing us to answer your prayer, and he has answered it. And I've seen people just fall apart weeping, going, you're kidding me. See, so often we go, let's, let's pray about it. And that is great. But if all you ever do is pray, and you never kick into gear when God is nudging you going, you answer that prayer, then you can actually turn prayer into a very unhealthy thing. And some of us, oh, let's just pray about it. That's great. That's a great thing to do. But there's going to be times where God is going to answer prayers using you. And if you don't have that set up, you're not going to be able to do anything about it. We've decided in our household, we want to automate that. We're going to set up. And so by automating that, I'm uh, automating my ability to meet a future unknown need. I don't even know what this need's going to be yet, but I'm getting myself ready so when the spirit moves, I've got margin already built up to go, we could do something about it. It's all because it's a value to us, and you learn what are those things that you value. Here's what I've learned by doing this. Automation isn't just a step of practicality. It's a step of faith. You may be hearing this going, oh, this just feels like all in the weeds on these details, and I don't know. And Here's what I promise you. When you say to God, this goes to you first, this goes to you no matter what, watch your faith shoot up. Watch your faith all of a sudden begin building as you go, wow, no matter what else happens this month, I've already committed, I've already automated that this is going out of, of my you know, income, this is going to God. It will change the way you see God because you're now in a position very different than you were before. It's an incredible way to begin to put yourself a new position of overflow. Now let me give you an illustration for this. Imagine that I invite you over to my house for dinner, you, you and your family. I'm sorry, I don't want to invite you over. What, what would you like to eat? What, what things are you know, great for you? And you, you tell me you, you like spaghetti. All right, spaghetti. Um, I would probably go, you know, tell my wife, hey, they, they like spaghetti and all this. She would look up some crazy Pinterest recipe on Instagram or something that, you know, she found online. And, and man, she's never made it before, but it looks awesome. She'd go to the store. She'd buy all sorts of crazy ingredients and food. And, and she would make up some unbelievable meal for you. And, and it would be this incredible experience. We'd get to have it together. And it would be awesome. Now, is the reason why my wife would likely go to the store and do all this because we have no other food in our house. No, we, we have food in our house. Um, but if you're our guest coming over, we're not going to serve you leftovers, right? I, if you came over to my house and I said, hey, we have been planning this for a month. We are so thrilled that you're here. Um, let me get in the pantry and see what we got left and we'll put something together real quick. What have I just communicated to you? You go, Wow, I, I, oh, I, I thought you were planning this. I thought this meant something to you. This is so easy for us to understand socially, right? If someone's coming over, you're going to make new food. Now, who, who eats leftovers in my house? Our family does after you leave. The next day, we get leftovers. We get to eat it again. It's amazing. But we served it to you first, and that's the way it works. And even though we had other food in the house, we're not going to serve you that. Okay, 
simple illustration, right? Here's the reality. Go back to that 2.6% number. 2.6% giving is serving Jesus leftovers. When we look at it and go, that's our giving. What you have done is invited Jesus over and said, hey, let me see what I got in the pantry for you. Let me see if I can scrape something together and I'll, I'll, I'll make you a dish. And again, just put it in the social setting. What would that communicate? Now, why is it so easy for us to understand with something as simple as having people over to your house for dinner, but it's so hard to understand when it comes to giving back to God? That's the same concept. And a lot of us go, well, I just, I want to be generous. Well, are you actually doing it? Are you actually acting that way? Are you getting excited to make some brand new thing to, to prepare for him? Or are you going, hey, let me see what I've got left. Let me see what I have got around. Now, I want to close by going back to Matthew 26. And uh, depending on how your Bible has it laid out, it might look like where we finished was the end of that section and then begins a new section. But actually the way Matthew does it, the, the, the next verse is the very next verse in, in the chronology, you know, chronology of, of what he's doing here. And so I want to show you what comes right after what we just read, uh, even though it may seem unrelated depending on how your Bible lays it out. Here's what verse 14 says right after the story of the woman in the perfume. Then one of the twelve, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and he asked, What are you willing to give me if I deliver him over to you? So they counted out for him thirty pieces of silver. From then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over. The tipping point for Judas to betray Jesus was one act of extreme generosity. Judas said, If this is how we're going to do this, I'm out. I want nothing to do with this. This is absurd. Now, you remember Judas' argument with the other ones? Oh, this money could have been given to the poor. It sounded so good. And whenever we make those kind of arguments, it sounds really good. But then you see his actions. He goes and immediately after watching this woman give a lavish, absurd gift to Jesus, he goes and finds a way to get himself more. I can go get paid. I can go figure out how to do this myself. To what we find in this story and in life is that the absurdity of generosity changes everyone. It doesn't play by logic. It, overflow makes no sense. If you try to make it make sense, there is an absurdity of generosity. It is, it is the kind of generosity where you, you, you pour perfume on Jesus' head. It makes no sense. But I promise you it will change you. And it will change those around you. And for a lot of us, when that happens, it will change us to be more like Jesus. All of a sudden, you'll get this adrenaline rush. You go, I need more of that. I, I only want to experience overflow. I want more and more of that. I'm going to keep putting myself in this situation. But for others, they're going to say, you know what, I'm going to become more selfish. I'm going to hide behind spirituality. I'm going to make my arguments. They'll sound really good. But really, I'm going to find ways to get more for myself. The absurdity generosity changes everyone. So here's my question for you as we close. Are you living in scarcity or in generosity? Are you living in this mentality that, hey, there's only so much to go around. It's going to be this, it's going to be that. And, and drawing all the conclusions that scarcity draws. Or are you living in generosity and going, no, there's, there's something more available. See, scarcity gives out of whatever is left over. Generosity starts with giving first. Scarcity fears when it comes to your finances. 
generosity decides to trust God with your finances. Scarcity focuses on what your money can do for you. Generosity focuses on how your money can be a blessing to those around you. Scarcity thinks your money and your possessions belong only to you. Generosity realizes that everything belongs to God. And we're just managing it for a season. So God has invited you to experience overflow. But until you release the scarcity mentality, you, you will not fully embrace it. Until you decide, I'm going to intentionally make things happen and, and, and put myself in a position to be generous. You'll always be at the whim of the culture around you. And God is inviting us to be a church of the overflow, to be people who are so enamored with him that no response would be too great. Let's live like that. Let's pray together. Jesus, we want to be people, not of scarcity, but of generosity. People who have caught the vision of what you're doing around us, of your goodness, of this invitation that, that we can actually bless others, that we can transform situations around us by simply living in response to what you've already done for us. God, may we not hide behind logical arguments that sound spiritual, ways that ultimately reinforce our own selfishness, but may we be willing to surrender the absurdity of generosity. May we be willing to approach you with a gift like perfume poured out on your head that others might look at and say, that makes no sense, but it is the natural overflow of our heart. God, we cannot even imagine how you would use these moments of generosity. If we would submit our lives, submit our resources to you, if we would begin to extend ourselves for others, how you would meet this there and take it so far beyond what we could ever imagine. God, may we be a church that is focused on that, that is expecting you to show up, expecting you to do what we cannot do, but that we have decided in advance we're gonna join you in this pursuit. God, teach us to live in the overflow. We pray in Jesus' name.